novelty bias. This is the tendency of new things to increase our interest in them. For a digital marketer, it means preferring one design over another because it's cool, interesting, or just new. For example, we are rapidly leaving what I call the era of the carousel. This was a period of time in which rotating carousels were added to the top of almost every business website on the planet. One person did it. It was cool. Then several more followed suit. And before long, every website template made this a standard part of their designs. And for many of you, it actually lowered conversion rates. This is novelty bias at work. It often involves stealing ideas from others without knowing if they work, simply because they are new or interesting. Now, we've always said you should steal like a scientist, riffing on the title of Austin Kleon's book, Steal Like an Artist. This means testing any ideas that you want to steal from your competitors or other sites. But what if you could just see the analytics of any of your competitors' websites? Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it. This data that I'm basically making you know, broadly available has been available to billion-dollar companies for the last 20 years like right like everybody's had access to this that if they've got you know a ridiculous amount of money now i'm making it available to people that have 49 bucks who's the most curious person you know i make a good living trafficking and curiosity and it's been on my mind for several episodes of this podcast the intended consequences show Tim Ash told us how to build a curious business. Dr. Diane Hamilton tested me using her curiosity code index. Would you be surprised to learn that my curiosity is quite suppressed? But who is the most curious person you know? Well, for me, the answer is Mike Roberts. Mike called me late last year and told me about a new product that he was launching that would let me see the analytics of any website. Then he told me the name. Nacho Analytics. I'm sure I woke up several babies all over the neighborhood with that laugh. I knew that companies would pay hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for this data. Mike wasn't interested in this. Mike is the founder and CEO of SpyFu and Nacho Analytics. He's a digital marketing pirate, if you will. And as I'm saying this, I'm realizing that he could be the dread pirate Roberts from The Princess Bride. Mike is pricing Nacho Analytics so that anyone has access to it. Find out why he's doing this and what Google said when they learned that he was pumping this data into Google Analytics for easy access by anyone. Marketers now have a lot of tools. We talk about this a lot on this podcast. A lot of tools to level the playing field. Not only being able to go into SpyFu and see what their big competitors are, are betting on in terms of keywords and ads and things like that, but even just spying on ourselves. These low-cost tools for understanding our analytics, for doing heat map reports, for watching session recordings. Uh, we really can, I hate the term, but we really can hack 
our data pretty quickly and, and get an unfair advantage in the marketplace. And that seems to be what you're all about. Now, uh, I'm curious to hear this story about how Nacho launched. And um, one of the first questions that comes <laughs> up is, who's going to be upset about this? Is Google going to be upset about this? Um, and maybe you should talk a little bit about how, um, just very briefly, how Nacho works. So basically, the, from, from the user's experience, what happens is that you sign up and, uh, and then you type in the website that you want to see. And we deliver uh, about four minutes later. Uh, we deliver a Google Analytics account uh, to you. Now, obviously, we're not like hacking into anyone's Google Analytics account. We're not doing something nefarious. We're not, this is not a, an illegal thing. What we're basically doing is if you're familiar with like um, Alexa or similar web or compete back in the day, I mean, Alexa has been doing sort of a panel has has had a panel uh, for 20 years. So this sort of data collection of traffic uh, isn't something that we invented. Um, what we did invent is basically taking that data and then uh, transforming it and loading it into into a standard analytics platform, Google Analytics. And of course, the power of, uh, of being able to drill in and see, you know, like the conversion rates at a product level on like Amazon uh, or like literally any website, being able to see, you know, like use your, you know, custom segments, like a sequence. Somebody saw this page and then they immediately visited this page. Well, what's their conversion rate and how, how much is that, um, that segment contributing to sales? And that's just like absurdly powerful. These are search bars and things like that that people install that um, Alexa and these other companies have been using to collect information. But they've been treating it like Nielsen, where they take all the surveys and then they report high level information to you. Yeah, top level metrics are like definitely have been around for a long time. But being able to drill in and see like on a campaign level, I mean, it's um, it's just totally game changing. And then you've got the the Google Analytics, uh, you know, the like Google Data Studio and you can pull data out. Uh, and and like line things up so you can have multiple competitors versus you. Uh, I've got this one with, you know, like Game of Thrones stats. So I've got HBO versus Amazon Prime versus uh, how the, and how like the Game of Thrones thing impacts, you know, Netflix views. It's like not possible prior to Nacho. It's it's a totally different world. That was so fascinating, and and we'll put a we'll put a link to that in the show notes for sure. Uh, what the the Sunday night impact of the new season of Game of Thrones on uh, Netflix is is uh, eye raising. <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving. I you know I just basically had the idea of Nacho, right? Like, oh, let's just pump like this this clickstream data into GA and kind of like see what happens. I think it's going to be pretty awesome, but then you know once you start getting in and you just like look at each website and what's happening. Well, I'm, I remember when we first talked and I heard what you what you could do and I realized everything you could see. And I was like, oh, my gosh, the Wall Street brokers, analysts are going to be able to go in and see what what uh, Netflix, you know, average subscriber rate is and if it's going up or if it's going down. And now they can use this data to compare media companies and big companies. And this is going to affect the stock price. And I was like man, you need to charge a lot for this data. <laughs> yeah. And what is it? It's $100 a month for, per, uh, it's, per website? Uh, you can get in for 49 bucks. I mean, and that's the thing is that everybody, th th like there's competitors out there that are charging, that, that you can get similar data, right? Um, like similar web has like a, a, an enterprise offering where they'll run reports for you and kind of deliver this sort of thing. And so does Jumpshot. But we're looking at like a hundred times what we're charging, you know, a quarter of a million dollars a year for one website. And, I, and, and like, to me, like, yeah, that's, that's a potential model, right? Like the enterprise model for this, 
you know, almost seems like a better fit. But uh, going back to kind of like the bootstrapping thing, that's not, that's not, those aren't the people that I really want to empower. I want to empower the little guy. And I think that this is a theme and why the tools are progressing so well. So you, you, you reached a point where like, oh, okay, I can collect this data. I can access this data. Now I've got to start building out all those reporting engines and stuff on top of it. And you just stopped and said, wait a minute, what if I just pumped this stuff into Google Analytics in real time? That's, that's a great insight that only comes from limited resources. And marketing departments are the, the poster child for limited resources. So this is what we want to encourage in marketing. It's like, well, I could A-B test this, but you know, I could really put these two pieces of creative in front of a panel on Usability Hub and get some real feedback on which one is probably going to work. So I'm curious, what other sites have you played with? What other interesting insights are there out there that, uh, that you found? I know you've been looking at, at Amazon and Best Buy and, and all kinds of e-commerce sites. Yeah, it's crazy because you just start playing around, right? Like it's it's like I didn't know necessarily what I was going to learn. I started down this path of just looking at how I was doing a presentation for uh, uh, for Byron White's uh, content marketing conference, and um, and so what I was looking for was you know how do how do how do people use search differently on site search? Like how do they use it on like Netflix and Craigslist and um, uh, and how are people searching differently on sites that aren't Google, right? But uh, what I wound up stumbling across was that, well, number one is that if you have a search bar on your site, and if you don't have autocomplete on there, what happens is that your the, the length of searches on your site will will be like about one and a half words on average, versus if you have Autocorrect. Autocomplete. It, <laughs> autocomplete. <laughs> you have autocomplete. Type ahead. Type ahead works too. <laughs> yeah. If you have type ahead, it'll, um, yeah, the, the, the length of your search goes to about 3.2 words. And, and what that does it, when you type a longer search is it delivers a higher quality result, like something more targeted to what you're searching for. Right. And so when you have a higher quality search result, your conversion rate goes up. And so as a consequence, Adding adding type ahead or autocomplete to your to a search bar that doesn't have it increases your conversion rate across many many different sites many different types of sites uh, by about twenty four percent. So let, let, I just want to make sure I unpack this right. Type ahead in your site search bar will increase the uh, the number of words that are in the average search. This gets the visitor closer to what they're really looking for. So your search your search results pages work better. It's not just filled with stuff that's that's too broad. Uh, and getting people closer to their solution means you should be converting higher. And apparently that's true from what you've seen. Now, did, did you just look at a lot of sites to get this information? How'd you do this analysis? Yeah, I looked at a bunch of sites. I actually um, have an article about kind of taking you through the entire analysis, like a 30 page post or whatever. Uh, I, I like to be thorough. And uh, I think uh, I think I looked at like the top 30, uh, the top 30 search properties that aren't Google, right? Actually, you know what? Um, here's an interesting one. Uh, Roblox. You familiar with Roblox? Like it's like a kid's game. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. like the 20, mm-hmm. 26th biggest search engine on the internet. So on that game, like they, it's like a game where you can make a bunch of, where you can make a game. Like, interestingly, that game, just as a side note, they have like this thing called Roblox Studio and you can basically make a game and publish it and it'll be available on like Xbox in like, like two seconds. So you just publish it 
directly from your computer. So they have, you know, millions of games that like kids have made, or I guess adults probably. And, uh, and so you want to be able to find games. So you search for like, you know, Google tycoon or something. It's actually a game. <laughs> oh my gosh. So the search for those games is the, tw- it makes it the 24th highest search. Uh, any other shockingly high, um, search engines out there? Like, well, there's one thing that I thought was interesting, and, and that is the way that, that uh, Netflix does their search. Um, if you go to Netflix, you can see how they do their search. It's like their, their suggest is literally their search. So as a consequence, their average search length is like one character, or, or it's actually six characters long, but, but the, uh, the, the top most search term is T, right? And, and the thing is, is that you don't need to type in very much in order to, because uh, it updates with it updates every time you do a keystroke. It's a really clever way to do a search. So it kind of goes the opposite direction of um, of site search, where we're trying to get them to have more words. But if you have a if you have a limited set of options and you know what's most popular, they must have a, an amazing machine learning algorithm feeding their predictive their suggestions because you type one letter and it starts making suggestions. I've been I've been amazed actually at how quickly it got me with just a few characters to what I was looking for. And so you're seeing that in the data as well. Yeah, 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 you can see that in data. Yeah. And I mean, Netflix is interesting for a lot of reasons. Publicly traded company, you, you know, they have like a lot of um, signups and a lot of cancellations. And so you can really pretty well, you can like really well model what what Netflix's um, SaaS numbers or subscriptions and their cancellations and their churn and all that stuff. And these companies hold that information really close to the vest because it can have such an impact on their stock prices. So we were talking a little bit about the launch of, of Nacho Analytics, and I was a little bit concerned that Google would get upset with you and shut you down. And um, I do know that you, um, you had some technology issues with them, but are, what battles have you had to, f- to fight as you've rolled this out? Any at all? Anybody upset? Google was pretty upset in the beginning, and and so that scared the crap out of us because like basically we're doing everything, uh, you know, as far as I know, we're doing everything in compliance with their terms of service. We're doing we're removing all the personally identifiable information and all that stuff. And so we got like a cease and desist after like a week, and I was like, what? Anyway, so we um, we talked to them through legal channels. It was it was pretty harrowing. Um, but it turns out that they, uh, and I don't want to put words in Google's mouth, but it's still kind of like their $100 billion company is, uh, is a scary entity, you know, but, and I think that they're kind of aware of that um, in, a, in a good way, actually. They're, they're Google's super cool and always has been, in my opinion. And, and it turns out that they just straight up thought that we were hacking into GA accounts. And, uh, and so once I assured them, once I explained how it worked and I assured them how, how, how it worked, uh, I think that they're actually pretty big fans. Uh, we have plans to like make it uh, extremely, extremely valuable for them. Well, I've also been able to play with it with some of our clients' competitors. It's an, it's the most amazing competitive analysis that you can do because we always like to steal good idea. Well, I like to steal ideas from our competitors, but we've always said, well, you know, don't steal everything. You only want to steal the ones that are working. But of course, we've never known what was working until now, and we can actually go in and see what's working on these sites. It is a little bit infectious. I like. I was curious. I, I had access to the Medium feed. I was curious what content was ranking best on on Medium, getting the most visits. And I saw the Jeff Bezos post blip on there, and and it was a striking amount of a striking increase, a striking percentage of of Medium's traffic for that period of time. But Medium is doing so well that uh, it wasn't as big as I thought. I guess. Anyways, these are the sorts of 
questions you can answer. Um, I mean, if you want to, BuzzFeed was another one I think that you had given me access to. You get to go in. Uh, it was striking to me how well their quizzes do. Now we kind of have always known this, but th it is, it's an order of magnitude better than their best content. Any, any other insights from Nacho Analytics that are, um, are fascinating? You know, one that we did, uh, sort of a, a case study that we did when we launched, we wanted to have a, a refer a friend program. And um, so what we, what we did is we, we looked at like the best, we looked for the best refer a friend programs in the world. And, and like kind of if you Google best refer a friend programs, uh, a few will come up and like kind of the top one is, uh, is Dropbox. And, uh, and that's actually because the guy that invented the term uh, growth hacking, Sean Ellis. Sean Ellis, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was, uh, he made their, um, their refer a friend program when he was uh, CMO or something at uh, Dropbox. And so I think it kind of gets that, it gets that lift because of that. But actually the, the best that I found is Airbnb's refer a friend program. They drive uh, 8,000 signups a day using their refer a friend program. 8,000 a day. And, and so we were able to like reverse engineer everything about this, including their signup form. And, uh, and we looked at a bunch of different signup forms and you know how there's like, you know, it's basically like, um, you got like the, the normal standard text link and then you've got like email a friend and then you've got, you know, the social shares, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook messenger. And then you got these weird ones that are like, uh, you know, sort of like import your Gmail contacts. And I think that those ones are pretty creepy and I kind of move my mouse all the way around those ones. So anyway, it turns out that you can look and see uh, which of these methods, because each one of them attaches like a campaign code uh, when it goes out. And so you can see which of those methods is the most effective way before you create your refer a friend program. And so it turns out that 96% of all the, the signups that Airbnb and all these other guys get actually comes from, you know, two sources. It's the text link and the just email a single friend. So like those all the social sharing and the creepy little Gmail importers, they don't contribute hardly at all. The other thing that we found on that is that is that their, tr their sort of secret trick to like driving the signups, you know, because this is how people share, but how do people, you know, what causes people to actually decide to share it with their friends? Um, so that trick is basically they just put, it all comes from emails. And so every email that Airbnb sends out, all of their transactional emails, basically everything. There's a secondary call to action, and the secondary call to action is like earn forty bucks or whatever, gets, and 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 to refer a friend. So, what did you settle on? Are you are you offering a free domain or something like that in, in your program? Yeah, you sh you uh, if you refer a friend, uh, you and your friend both get a free domain. Uh, the data on a free do on on one on a free yes, domain. yeah, yeah, in Nacho, <laughs> and it could yep. be Netflix if you wanted Netflix. It can yeah be whatever you want. This is a fantastic idea. And yes, I actually um, actually bookmarked the refer a friend page on Dropbox. Or was it Box? I forget. But it was for that reason. It was like, this is brilliant because uh, refer one friend and you get an extra two terabytes or uh, you extend your, you extend your uh, free trial by another week or something like that. And um, those little incentives are, are very powerful. So how, uh, how hard is it to, how much do you have to know about Google Analytics to, to, to make this work? If I'm getting a stream of my competitors into Google Analytics, do I have to be, many of our, our listeners um, don't spend a lot of time in Google Analytics. Well, see, that's, that's kind of the cool thing is that um, the more you know, the better. And, uh, but you don't necessarily need 
to know be, when you sign up, right? Like you basically just get the data going in and then you're like, and then, and then you kind of learn by doing in a sense. And, and so right now, basically everybody has one reason to become a Google Analytics expert and that is to look at their own site. And now there's kind of like, you know, 10 million more reasons. And I mean, honestly, I got to say, look, uh, like if you guys, like the, the webinar that you did uh, was like probably, it was actually my favorite webinar that I've done, I think maybe ever, because I, I uh, the things that you taught us, that, that you taught me, I, I consider myself a bit of a Google Analytics expert and I actually really have to be a really good at Google Analytics expert now. I mean, I've got so many reasons to be, um, but uh, I rarely learn. I mean, you taught me personally, like, I don't know, six things that I straight up didn't know in the webinar that we did together. And so like <laughs> props, man, uh, you're like you're like a Google Analytics genius, in my opinion. Well, we I mean, we have to be because we, we you know, we use analytics so much to figure out what to test. We can't test the wrong things. Uh, you know, maybe tests are they're hard and expensive. So uh, we want to make sure we get them right. Um, but I appreciate the I appreciate the compliment. What a great way to learn Google Analytics. Um, you know, it's one thing to open your own um, site. Uh, it's another thing to know that you are getting insights that there's just no other way to get. And there's no defense. I mean, you're you can. I don't know if have you heard of any uh, websites that are putting defenses in place uh, to keep this from working? Anything like that? Oh, no, no it, it's, it, it wouldn't be particularly effective. Uh, there's, I mean, let's be honest, like the thing is, is that we, we didn't, we didn't invent, you know, collecting, you know, clickstream data. It's, it's been around for at least 20 years and, uh, and pretty much everywhere you go, every website that you're on, somebody's collecting that data, probably like 20 of them. If you go to like, geez, even on Reddit, there's like 30 trackers that are that are firing every time you visit a page view so it's it's just the way the internet works it's uh, and you know we're not i i don't believe in in disclosing personal information like i i've had a lot of opportunities in in sort of data in the data world to like spy on individuals but i do not like agree with that uh, but but spying on on companies and learning you know like the stuff that in a lot of ways, people would make white papers if they just had time. You know, they're like, look, look at this really cool marketing thing that we did. But, you know, they just don't have time to, to publish it. And uh, and maybe there's, you know, legal issues or whatever. And so we're just kind of like making it so that you can see the stuff, the cool things that people are doing. So I, I get asked a lot about um, the effectiveness of the tools that we use because they're, you know, sitting behind these websites and they're uh, collecting clickstream data and they're uh, collecting where your mouse moves and they're recording screens and this can feel a little bit creepy and there has been somewhat of a backlash. Uh, most famously, Facebook is suffering from all of these privacy violations. So GDPR, pop-up blockers, tracker blockers uh, is uh, from an industry trend, not just in that, not just analytics. Are you worried about this and that the number of people using blockers is going to start to create some opacity and reduce the effectiveness of our tools? I mean, I, I use Adblocker Pro, <laughs> to be honest with you. But, um, you know, again, I, I, I think that uh, I think that it sort of depends on how how you how you use it. I think that when you're aggregating the data and basically highlighting what what companies are doing, I think that that's pretty much fair game. Um, and ought to be, and that's kind of my mission is to basically make it so that you can see anything about any company. 
how much money they make, uh, what, what, what they're selling, what their conversion rates are. I think that shedding light on that is uh, probably a net positive for the world. When it comes to sort of spying, like looking at individuals, it, it's arguable whether or not, you know, the Facebook thing is, you know, is, it, is Facebook worth it? To me, I think it's probably worth it. Uh, I'll just give you an example. I was like on a, I was on like a, a sailing around in the uh, British Virgin Islands and like I met a whole bunch of people. And the beautiful thing was, is I didn't like get anybody's name really. <laughs> I mean, I know that I know their names, but, um, but I didn't like get their contact info. And the thing is, all I needed to do is like friend one of them on Facebook and then Facebook magically starts connecting me with these people. And that's like an extreme value add. And to me, I think, you know, I get what I get how it's how I'm being targeted with ads. And I believe that that's like largely what's going on. But, you know, you can opt out. Yeah, absolutely. You can opt out. I think that that's a um, that's probably a growing audience that's doing that sort of thing. I, I think so. Sunlight's the best disinfectant. And I think to your point, the, being able to look into what people are doing online is one way to expose that. Um, and I also think that as more people use these tools as more marketers begin to embrace these sorts of things their their moral code is going to raise the bar on the general ethics so the, the, i think the more scientists and experimenters we have the more people using these tools that it's going to tend to raise the ethical level rather than these kind of technical gurus i mean you can think back to the early days of seo and the black hat seos and the way they were just totally gaming the system with all sorts of tricks and they're still out there as there are more of us, I think it raises socially, we tend to raise the bar ethically. And, and that's why I want more uh, people in this, this community of marketing scientists. Yeah, hundred percent, man. Like this, this, this data that I'm, that I'm basically making, you know, broadly available has been available to billion dollar companies for the last 20 years. Like, right. Like everybody's had access to this, that if they've got, you know, a ridiculous amount of money now, I'm making it available to people that have 49 bucks. Anybody in the world can see it, right? So, you know, it's it's not like it hasn't always been out there. It's just been in this, the hands of people that maybe, you know, maybe maybe you trust less. Uh, I got to tell you, I don't know that I would have, I would have the, uh, I wouldn't have, I don't know that I've taken in that direction, but I admire it. I love you as kind of the pirate of digital marketing. If you're afraid of Google Analytics, you are double handicapping yourself. Not only will you not understand your own visitors, you're missing out on understanding your biggest competitors' businesses. So when you get back to the office, subscribe to this podcast. Because next time, I'm talking to Chris Mercer of measurementmarketing.io. My question to him is this, how can anyone plug into Google Analytics and where do we start? you might be surprised by some of his answers. That's it for this week, scientists. Thank you for listening.